Wow, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? No? <laughs> Isn't it fantastic? Look at the wonderful crowd here, and we welcome newcomers here today uh, on this Australia Day weekend. And haven't we got so much to be thankful of from our mighty God? You know, he has blessed us and given us so much, particularly in this country. Um, I called in to see Marg Docking. Um, for those that don't know Marg, she's a, a lady from this church family who have, um, I guess, had a heart for Africa and um, she heads up our Mission Watch team and uh, her and John and the family have just come back from five weeks in Africa. And just some of the stories that she talked about while she was over there and, and the poverty and what people have to deal with in their everyday lives. And, and yet she said she marvelled at the, the way that so many of the African people she met were joyful despite their circumstances. And it really humbles me when I think of how much we have in this country. We've got too much. And sometimes we grumble and we complain. And, and I just think, wow, how our God has mightily blessed this fabulous country of Australia, one of the best countries we believe in the world. In fact, I was listening to the news the other day and, and once again, Melbourne and Sydney feature in the top 10 of the best, most livable cities in the world. So aren't we blessed? We're really blessed. And just on that theme, just um, briefly, um, we've had the... We've had the uh, Australian of the Year announced and um, we had a young Australian of the Year announced as well and her name was Tanya Major and she was an Aboriginal, uh, she is an Aboriginal um, lass and um, of 15 that went through school with her, she was the only one to graduate. Um, many of the others, some went into a lifestyle of drugs, some suicided, some just didn't get there. But Tanya went on and she's on the ATSIC board and it was just fantastic to hear what she had to say, her attitude about um, just grasping the opportunities that are available in our lives. And she said, I'm proud to be an Aboriginal Australian and to have been recognised and, and acknowledged for the work I'm involved in. As Young Australian of the Year, I want to encourage all Australians to be a part of making a difference and giving all people a fair go. She says she's travelled the world and we have this identity in Australia of giving everyone a fair go, but do we really give all Australians a fair go, she says. But then she goes on to say individuals can make a difference if non-Indigenous and Indigenous young people come together to learn each other's cultures to learn the real history of this country and acknowledge it, this will hopefully improve the way we interact. We need to come together and develop ourselves as responsible individuals and enhance and, in and strengthen a truly Australian national identity celebrated by all Australians. And when I heard that, I thought, you know, that's exactly what we're on about here in the church as Christians in the body of, of Christ. We're on about growing to be more like Christ, about caring for each other, of forming our identity, but our identity in Christ. 
And as we do that, we, each one of us as individuals have an opportunity to impact the world. And I guess that leads into um, one of the things that we're really passionate about in our church, and, and that is prayer. You know, we can't grow ourselves to be more Christ-like and we can't impact the world unless we're actually impacted ourselves by our living God, our wonderful creator. And to do that, we have to be in communion with him. And that communion is, uh, is experienced primarily through prayer. It's also experienced through worship and fellowship, a number of ways, and reading his word. But prayer is significant. And to, um, I guess, just launch this year so that this year we're really going to make a difference being infilled by the indwelling and living spirit. We want to pray and set the year on track by holding um, an all-night prayer vigil tonight, commencing at um, 9.30. So come tonight. There's going to be prayer every morning and every evening of the week from 6.30 at a.m. till 7.30 in the morning and 8 till 9 at night, commencing with the all-night of prayer tonight. It's going to be really significant. Let's really commit, every one of us, to seeing how significant, not just our church is, but what God has given to us and what our duty is to be out there in the world impacting it for Christ. And we can only do that if we're serious about allowing Christ to indwell us about communing with him. So please, we, we really want everyone to come along. The rest of the information is in your bulletin. Lots of things in there. The Pamper Day for women affected by the drought. We're asking for donations and for people to get involved. Breathe is starting. Castaways are going off on a, on a trek soon. Um, there's lots of things. Please read it and respond to it. But this morning I'm going to be talking about from worry to worship. And I just thought I'd give you a foretaste of what you can expect from the sermon this morning. Thanks, Doug.
we can learn from the animals. <laughs> That's part of the scripture this morning. So let's pray and let's praise our God for all that he's given to us and all he wants to do in our lives, the incredible blessings that we have in Jesus. Lord God, we come before you this morning and we give you glory and praise for all that you've done for us. Oh Lord, we just want to honour you here this morning. We thank you for the beautiful music and for Sandy's beautiful song at the beginning of the service this morning. Be still and know that you are God. Lord, we come before you and there's not one of us here who haven't experienced tragedy, who haven't experienced pressure, who may even be feeling pressure right now, who haven't experienced worry. Lord, there's so many things that crowd us and crowd our lives. But Lord, let us remember that instead of being anxious, let us remember the architect of our lives. Instead of always being busy, let us remember the beautiful creator of all heaven and earth that holds us in the palm of his hand. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. And I pray that in this time here this morning, no matter where we are, no matter what's happening in our lives, this time of worship and praise will be a time of great blessing, of great change in our lives, where we'll remember and reconsider once again the incredible mighty God that we have in our lives, the God that is mighty to save no matter what our circumstances. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this sermon is dedicated to all of you who have worried in the past, all who are now worried, and all who are making plans to worry soon. <laughs> who would that be? <laughs> it might sound funny, but worry is no laughing matter. Actually, it's a sin, and, but it is one of the more acceptable sins in Christian life. Anonymous said, worry is a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Stress and worry break us down. They're the unseen source of our headaches, backaches, heartaches and bellyaches. They produce everything from obesity to obscenity, from constipation to diarrhoea, from impatience to impotence. They give us knotted stomachs, sleepless nights, high blood pressure and low morale. They make our tempers short and our days long. They cause indigestion, irritation, chest pain and muscle strain. You do not get stomach ulcers from what you eat, said one doctor. You get ulcers from what is eating you. Those who are extremely anxious, said John Calvin, himself prone to anxiety, wear themselves out and become 
their own executioners. Psalm 37 begins, do not fret. And verse 8 repeats itself, do not fret. It only causes harm. The English word for fret comes from the old English fretten, meaning to devour, to eat, to gnaw into something. The Hebrew word David actually used is chara, which has its root, the idea of growing warm or blazing up. Put these two pictures together. Think of worry as a rat inside your soul, gnawing away. Think of Satan as an arsonist, setting little blazes of distress inside your heart. King David is saying something like this in Psalm 37. I've been young and now I'm old. He says that in verse 25. I've seen many things, suffered many burdens and learned many lessons. Based on a lifetime of experience, my advice is kill off the rats and put out the fires. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Easy to say, isn't it? So what is worry? The dictionary defines worry as to tease, harass, be continuously and intermittently troubled, allow no rest or peace of mind. So what are the everyday things that cause worry? We could put them into categories. Next slide. First is events. This category includes specific events like death, divorce, diagnosis of disease, a traffic ticket, car problems, accidents, and even Christmas. Number two, transitions. A transition, I see that lovely overhead there. What I'm going to do with this sermon is at the moment, I'm just unpacking what is worry. Then we're going to look at scriptural foundations. And then lastly, we're going to do, look at how to overcome. Okay, so we looked at what is worry and the first is events. Different events can cause worry. The second thing that can cause worry, which is the next slide, thanks, is transitions. A transition is a change from one thing to the next, like a move, a job promotion, a 40th birthday or 50th, job change, children leaving home, etc. The other thing that is a category of worry is our environment. People who live in crowded urban areas often contend with bad air, crowded streets, traffic, allergies and difficult neighbours. But for those of us in rural areas, we have to contend with things like drought, lack of resources and fire. And even contending with living on a pension is another environmental factor. Another category that causes worry and stress is development. Developmental transitions happen in your individual and family life cycle. Common ones are puberty, marriage, parenting, menopause and retirement. Each has unique stresses that can be positive or negative to us. Number five is our attitudes. Coming up in a moment. Anyway, believe me, it's attitudes. <laughs> and I'm not worried. <laughs> the way you perceive and think about all of the, the above, your attitude can create worry and stress. Obviously, if you're a worrier or distrust others, you'll experience more worry and stress. 
If you're negative and are always looking to support your negative views, you'll feel more worried. Also, perceiving things inaccurately can lead to worry and stress. And number six, personality. People who are perfectionists, who need to feel in control, want to please others or constantly compete and worry about their competence are more prone to effects of worry. If you are angry, easily frustrated, unorganised or impatient, my goodness, that's all of us, isn't it? <laughs> you experience more worry and stress than others. In other words, personality traits can take on and bring on worry and stress. And I've added a seventh one there, which is, I believe, the devil. The devil harasses us as Christians and keeps that little mind making little initial worry lines like big rivets in our brain. In her book, Breaking Free from Stress, Dr Linda Mintel says there are 10 things you must certainly continue to do if you want to stay worried and stressed. So here they are. Number one, drink as much alcohol as you can to numb pain and avoid life. Number two, use drugs, particularly the illegal ones, to escape from life's problems. Number three, run down your body in every way possible. Eat lots of fast foods, stay up late at night and sit around and vegetate. Number four, get yourself into huge financial trouble. Use your credit cards and spend wildly and impulsively. If you like it, just buy it. Number five, whenever there is bad news, assume you will be the next victim. Think about it, worry about it, fill your mind with the tragedies of the nightly news. Number six, become a regular complainer and criticise everything in sight. Make sure you don't let anyone's mistakes pass. Yell, scream and show no mercy. Number seven, be a victim of everything and everyone. Make sure you pass around blame as much as you can. Believe you are never at fault for anything. Number eight, never make a decision. Since you might make a mistake, don't decide anything. Waver, agonise. Number nine, read into everyone's behaviour. They probably don't like you and they are trying to compete with you and want you out of the picture. Live in paranoia. And number 10, the most important of all, stay away from happy people. They could rub off on you and cause you to cheer up. You have too much to feel bad about and don't need anyone disrupting your unhappy flow. Okay. It's a joke, but at the same time, it's not, is it? I think they're all things we can identify with, and we all do. So what does God say about worry? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. And this particular scripture is right in the middle of what Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the Kingdom Life Proclamation series. And if you read chapter 5, you'll understand that prior to this particular scripture, Jesus is telling us to be like something. Be merciful. Be peacemakers. 
Be righteous. And it's an attitude, a way of being. And then he goes on through, through chapter 5 and into chapter 6 and he says, now that you have know how to be, this is what I want you to do. And the inference is we cannot do, we cannot not worry unless we have been with the creator, drawing strength from him. So it's in that context. And just before verse 25, we read verse 24, which says we cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot be double-minded. We cannot serve at once God and then money at the same time. And so in that context, we read this scripture. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food and more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? And which of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about the flowers of the field and how they grow and they do not work or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass which is here today and tomorrow is tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't he clothe you even more? You people of little faith. So then don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the pagans pursue these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But above all, and this is the crunch line, seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So then, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. You know, there's scarcely any more sin which, than which our Lord Jesus more earnestly warned his disciples against than the sin of a disquieting, distracting, distrustful cares about the things of this life. He says, do not worry. It's an imperative. It's like a command. He doesn't say, you know, I'd rather you didn't worry. He says, do not worry. It is a repeated command and it's different. We've got to remember that, that worry, the sort of worry that they're talking about here is a disquieting, tormenting worry which disturbs our joy in the Lord, which breaks the sleep and hinders our enjoyment of ourselves, of our friends and of what God has given to us. It's a distrustful, unbelieving worry. God has promised to provide for those who are his all the things for this life that we need, such as food and clothing. He doesn't say that he'll provide a feast or that we'll be indulged, but that we will truly be fed. In other words, don't worry about your livelihood. Worry about your life, your life in Christ first. And God will take care of your livelihood. That's what he's saying. And it doesn't mean we're not meant to plan. We're meant to be good stewards of what God has given to us. 
very good stewards, and that involves planning, setting goals. But when we take upon ourselves the needless worry that torments us and causes us from living a life fully rooted in God, then that's a sin. And in the context of this, you have to understand that Jesus was addressing these words to an ancient world. And everyday life in the cities of the ancient world was far different than even the most difficult circumstances of urban life in the modern world. They had limited water and means of sanitation and the incredible density of humans and animals is beyond belief or imagining. Tenement cubicles were smoky, dark, often damp and always dirty. The smell of sweat, urine, feces and decay permeated everything. Outside on the street it was only marginally better. Mud, open sewers, manure and and crowds. In fact, human corpses, adults as well as infants, were sometimes just pushed into the street and abandoned. And it's actually in this context that Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. It's unbelievable. What he's saying is our life is a greater blessing than our livelihood. This is an encouragement to trust God for food and clothing and to ease ourselves of all the worries about what God has given to us. The principle is if we take care about our souls and eternity, which are more than the body and its life, we can leave to God to provide us for food and clothing. And so for comfort, he gives us an example. He says, look at the birds of the air. They've learnt to trust God for food. They do not reap or sow or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father provides for them. He makes provision for them. But he says, aren't you much more valuable than they? Yes, certainly you are. You are the heirs of heaven, and you're much more valuable than the birds of heaven. Yes, the birds, um, our Lord is their maker and owner and master, but besides this, he is your father. You are his children. You're his firstborn. And now if God feeds his birds, surely he won't starve his children. Trust God for your provision. God wants us to live by faith and to be unconcerned about tomorrow. And then he goes on to say, and look at the lilies of the field. Consider them. Consider them. Don't just look. But consider, think about them, observe them, look around, notice their fragility, get perspective. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. They're thrown into the fire. And it's a bit like our lives. What are we living our lives for? To be consumed by the everyday worry of life? We could be here today and gone tomorrow. And you know, the lilies spend a lot of time in the ground buried before they pop up in spring. And sometimes that's a bit how we feel, isn't it? We're actually in the ground buried under the burden of worry and cares. But just as surely as the lilies spring forth in spring and, and um, spring forth resplendent, so too will our Heavenly Father bring forth blessing 
if we wait patiently and, and consider him first. And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. And this can be taken as an encouragement to true faith, even though ours is so weak. Little faith should not be rejected. In other parts of scripture, it says, if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, that is as much as you need for the kingdom of heaven. But God wants to grow us in his faith. So we need to harness our faith and have it strengthened that God will provide. Because he says, the pagans run after all the things you're concerned about and you're not a pagan. You know, what do pagans run after? Pagan is someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. Well, most pagans and unfortunately most Christians really worry about material things. Materialism is a rampant cancer that is now a worldwide temptation which produces untold worry in people as to how they'll maintain the kind of lifestyle they'll require. You know, we can't build up our treasure on earth and, but yet there are several reasons why the idol of materialism sees people so trapped. The first is security. We want to know we are taken care of. So what brings us the greatest security in life and to our soul is to have material security. Personal worth, esteem and value often, uh, we think, come from owning and possessing. We think we derive power from material success. Wealth gives us control over our own fate and over other people. We think it gives us independence. With wealth, I can be my own God. But the pursuit of material wealth is a feeble attempt to fill the dark void that can only be filled by fixing our eyes on Jesus. If we fix our eyes on Jesus... Verse 32 goes on to say, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He knows that and he'll provide for you. But, and this is the crunch, verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Here's a double argument against the sin of worry. Do not worry about your life the life of the body, because one, you have greater and better things to take thought of about the life of your soul, your eternal happiness. That is the thing that's needed to which to employ your thoughts. And two, you have no surer, safer, easier way to obtain the necessities of this life than first by seeking the kingdom of God. So what does it mean seek first the kingdom of God? What what does those words what do those words mean? Well, first of all, we're told to seek. We're told to do. We're told to be proactive. And it it implies we may not have attained it and in many ways sure, fall short, but sincere seeking is accepted. We must mind heaven as our end and holiness as our way. 
We must seek the things of Christ more than our own things. Seek these things first, the scriptures say. Jesus tells us that, and I I think I've got the next one, is actually a definition of the kingdom of God. No, that's not it. Keep going. No, doesn't matter. (laughs) I'll tell you what it is. The kingdom is the presence of the king who has come to fulfil God's salvation plan, which is the plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. So it is the presence of the redeemed Jesus Christ living within us, establishing a new covenant blessing through his spirit. So through Jesus' death, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and the kingdom of God now resides in us through Jesus Christ. And we must seek the things that the Spirit uh, yearns for us to seek first, to honour our God, to put him first, to be mindful of him, to hunger and thirst for those things first. And then it says, all of these things will be given unto you. The kingdom of God operates from the inside out through grace. Question, are you allowing this incredible kingdom of redemption, grace and righteousness and power to change you from the inside out, to go from a warrior to a worshipper? Don't worry about tomorrow, it concludes. It'll take care of itself. You have enough to worry about today. Let us be mindful of the present, but leave events to God. Let us prepare. Let us be proactive and responsive to what we need to do in life. But then let us leave the events of that to God. Let us do the work of the day within the day. And then let tomorrow bring its work along with it. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This present day has trouble enough attending to it. We need not to accumulate burdens by anticipating our trouble or borrow from tomorrow's worries by adding them to today's or from the past and adding them to today's. God has wisely ordered us to bear our burdens a bit at a time, day by day. So the last part of this sermon is what to do about worry. We've had the scriptural foundation. We need to seek God first. So I've taken the word worry and in that I've put in words that I think will help us. So with the W, thank you, let's worship God. Positively, Jesus teaches how his disciples can live securely in the middle of their daily difficulties. The way for us to be victorious in our personal life and not to worry is to always make sure that we place God in our life, in every aspect of our lives first, always pleasing him. This is our total act of worship. We are to worship him continuously, Psalm 104, 5, verse 4 says. 
Praise him from sunrise to sunset, Psalm 113, verse 3 says. And in Romans 12, chapter 1, it says, and this is in the message paraphrase, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and your work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. That is our act of worship. Do that first in terms of worry. Number, uh, the letter O, observe, be open and obedient. Sometimes we feel like we're buried and lost, but all the while God is doing an amazing work in our lives. You know, Joseph in the Old Testament was thrown into a pit by his brothers and left to die. Felt like he would have been buried alive, I guess. And then he's rescued and he goes and he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh honours him, but then Potiphar, Pharaoh's wife, desires him and tricks him and then he's thrown into prison and he's left to perish and yet whilst he's in prison, the prisoner, the wardens see his value, so he's put in charge of the prisoners um, and God doesn't forget him even though he languished there for a few years and when the need arose, um, he was remembered and he was restored and became um, second only to Pharaoh over all of Egypt. You know, we need to remember that God can change and wrought out of our dire circumstances blessings we don't even begin to see now if we just remain obedient to him. John Ortberg wrote a fantastic book about grace and I love it. And he says we have to learn to look with grace-filled eyes to observe the small graces in our lives instead of being overwhelmed by the bigness of our burdens. Because all the while while we're focusing on, our, on the burdens of our life, God, we're missing the small graces that God is giving to us every single day. What graces today, right now, can you praise God for, despite your circumstances? We need to observe all that God is doing for us. And ah, we need to rejoice. We need to remember that the Christian life is a life about joy and it it breaks my heart that so often I forget that and it breaks my heart again when I meet Christians that forget that as well. We're to be joyful, Paul tells us, despite our circumstances. In Philippians 4, 4 to 9, he says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. That's our perspective. The little things we get so narrow when we focus on the immediate and yet the Lord could come tomorrow. Don't worry about anything, he says. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace 
which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Rejoice, be joyful, despite your circumstances. Barbara Johnson is a, a, a female Christian author and she wrote a book called Where Does a Mother Go to Resign? Barbara Johnston wrote about her own valley times, the terrible accident that left her husband blind and crippled for many months, the deaths of two sons, one in Vietnam and the other on a highway in the Yukon, and the homosexuality of another son who disappeared into the gay lifestyle for the better part of 11 years. You think you've got problems. She says she has learned to welcome the valley times because she has seen the growth in character that comes from them. And she has survived only by partaking of a steady diet of laughter, joy and hope. She says, as we go through life, each of us taking a notebook of memories, when we put our notes on paper or only on the pages of the mind, as we write, it is important that we note down some little things each day for that time when those notes may be our highest joy. They may be all we can cling to. So note the day the lilacs bloomed, the day your little son picked a dandelion for you, the day the bluebirds found the house you made for them. In this age of bigness, the big things will crush us if we forget the words of one who said to consider the lilies of the field and be not anxious. My other R, respond. Two parts to this and I'm winding up. One more to go. We respond primarily through our attitudes and through our actions. And I cannot begin to tell you how important it is to have the right attitude through life. You must keep in mind that life is a constant struggle. Some people think that if you can just get over the particular hump or through the particular tunnel in which they are struggling with now, that everything will be smooth sailing from then on. But that just won't happen. Better to see life as a series of problems that are opportunities to learn and grow and then you won't get nearly as worried when the struggles come. Chuck Swindle says, the longer I live, the more I realise the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% as to how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are all in charge of our own attitudes. So often we hear people blaming everyone else except looking at themselves.
and act. We need to be proactive to overcome worry. We need to be responsible and proactive people who have learned how to do certain things throughout the course of their life. We need to be well-disciplined and self-motivated. And we have to realise how to accomplish goals, how to plan our time, how to be ready ahead of time, how to use a problem-solving process, how to get along well with others, how to accept the consequences of our own behaviour. When we learn to do this and take and act, we can overcome worry. And finally, in concluding, and, it's, and I, I know this is all hard, but remember, remember we have a mighty God. The kingdom of God lives in us in order to do these things. But why? Why is to yield? We yield daily, minute by minute, minute moment by moment, to an almighty, loving God. Someone said, oh God, what shall I do? I'm at the total end of myself. God replied, wonderful, dear child. Now start your new beginning with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your power. We thank you that you have gifted us with everything we need to overcome in this life, to change worry into worship, to lead a life of praising you despite our circumstances. We thank you that you call us to come to you first, to seek you first and to trust in you for everything we need for our lives. Oh Lord Jesus, forgive us for how we take on board things you never intended for us to take on, for us to carry things you never intended for us to carry. Lord, I pray today that every person here will surrender the burdens that they are carrying to you, Lord Jesus, with trust, with grateful hearts and live a life that truly represents what it means to have the kingdom of God living in us, a life filled with joy, a life filled with purpose, a life filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.